0: Who exactly is the left if not God God of my Lord Jesus Christ king of glory ruler of all creation seen and unseen the one true God highly exalted above all creation space time realms and dimensions thank you for the holy fear of you allowing me to walk with wisdom knowledge and understanding to bring forth these truths to share with your child whom you love so dearly, just as I am loved by you. You love this child who is reading or hearing these words. Thank you for returning us to the place of origin in you before there was time where we once knew you fully and are known by you. Thank you for returning us to the relationship we once had with you through the soul memory of the first man and woman in the garden. Thank you that through our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, we are delivered from our separation from you by the horrors of sin and death. Thank you, Jesus, for your mind through our rebirth by baptism in water and spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for removing the veil in every realm, dimension, space, and time, allowing us to freely enter the throne room of our Holy Father and be consumed by intimacy in Him and He in us. By this we are set free. Our minds, hearts, wills, our very souls are deconstructed from all unrighteousness and made whole again by your righteousness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. As a servant and messenger of the Lord Jesus the Christ, I begin my delivery of this message with Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. In the previous chapter, Hebrews 11, Paul defines what faith is, that it is right now, that faith is the foundation, the raw materials from which hope is born, that there is no hope without faith. He also tells of the great exploits, trials, and tribulations of the early judges, kings, prophets, men, and women, all guided by their faith in Yahweh. In Hebrews 12, Paul refers to them as a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we have some amazing examples of the faith to follow, especially our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 So, as I have been meditating on Hebrews 12, especially verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And other scriptures like Philippians 2, verses 5 to 7, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men. It has been sobering and humbling to meditate on these verses. Why do I not choose instant humility for much less when God could choose to be humbled to the lowest depths of the earth for me? These meditations have led me to greater depths of working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I want to be able to let go of all weight, sin, and snares and function with the authority I have as a disciple of Jesus. Rather than being bound by this matrix and years of programming, the soul known as Prince has come to the realization that the level of faith I possess has been authored, and my faith's growth while still progressing has been finished. There is an author to this story I have been living. Here is the real shocker our lives as disciples of Jesus are not about us. We have the delusion that the lives we are living are our lives, but they are not. These names and stories written in the Lamb's Book of Life are actually about versions of God. We are each a different version of God in earthen vessels with consciousness conditioned by our journeys on the earth, even as the born again. However, The world, and even religion, has conditioned us to believe otherwise—that by following specific sets of rules and rituals, we can get desired results in these lives that don't belong to us. In order to quicken the earthen vessel He had made, God breathed into the man and He became a living soul. It was God who breathed a portion of His essence, with it the soul who became man and entered the vessel he had made for himself. Even splitting the man in two, creating another vessel like the man but in a different form and calling this one woman did not matter, for this was also God. God created man and woman, these versions of himself, in such a way that they could reason and think apart from him. But it was nonetheless him, just as Jesus was separate from God in a physical form, yet still God. Jesus said in John 10 verse 30, I and my Father are one. The man and woman were one with God, but the rebellion was passed down to us, creating in each of us a desire to go our own way separate from God. We believe that this life is not God's and that it is our right because of our soul's programming. When we surrender to God, We are reminded of who and what we truly are in these various forms, and we are willing to proclaim it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2 verse 20. By meditating on Galatians 2.20 and so many other scriptures, we begin a mind renewal regimen, acknowledging that being born again means giving up a false conditioned identity and taking on the identity of Christ. Jesus explains to an old man by the name of Nicodemus about what it means to be born again in John 3 verses 5 to 8. Jesus answered, is born of the Spirit. John 3 verses 5 to 8. I was baptized in water and in the Spirit when the soul of who I am chose to surrender to Jesus the Christ. Let's look at what this means in light of what the Spirit has communicated to my soul. In John 3 verse 5. The water that Jesus is referring to is the spiritual living water that is Himself. Jesus then spoke these words to a woman who was alone, mocked by all for her lifestyle, and unable to experience happiness despite her lifestyle. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. John 4, verse 14. He then later taught in John 7, verses 38 to 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John 7 verses 38-39 to 39. Jesus is the spiritual water we are baptized in as the born again. However, the water is both spiritual and physical. The water we are physically baptized with is symbolic of the spiritual amniotic fluid of the creation womb of the Holy Spirit, which all things were created from. Genesis chapter one verses one to two. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I believe that Genesis 1 verses 1 to 2 are the most read sentences in all of human literature. Yet there is something deep, profound, and beautiful going on here that is often overlooked. So stay with me. We then see that in Genesis 1 verses 6 to 10, that by God creating the firmament, He splits the waters, the Holy Spirit is hovering or brooding over like a Hebrew woman of the old days hovering over her womb, preparing to give birth to her child. The King James Bible states that the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. In this instance, the Hebrew word for moved is rakaf, which means to brood. According to Genesis 30 verse 3, Hebrew women kneeled or sat on someone's knee, hovering or brooding over their womb. The idea was most likely inspired by what was already written in the woman's DNA as a result of the process that took place during creation. Genesis 1 verses 6 to 10 reads, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and it divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Where is all of this going? This is a breakdown of where we came from, what humanity and creation were formed from, the process of birth from flesh and birth of the Spirit. This is a revelation knowledge for a better understanding of who and whose we are. I'm starting to see things differently in the world. Water comprises 80% of the human body. Water plays an important role in our physical birth both in the womb and as we emerge into the matrix and in our rebirth. The scriptures beautifully painted picture of why Jesus stated we must be born of water both spiritually and physically and why all the water around us is significant According to Genesis 1 verses 1 to 10, all water on this side of the firmament is the amniotic fluid of this side of creation. All of it. Think about that. I can now see why there had never been any rain before the flood. Rain is a purifying force. The old is washed away to make way for the new when it rains. Because God's flawless world did not need to be cleansed before sin entered it. A mist will rise from the well-nourished earth to water the ground, as described in Genesis 2 verse 6. I can also see how once mankind fell into sin, angels who were supposed to be watching over them instead lusted after them, resulting in women giving birth to abominations and wicked people who had to be purged from the world in order for the promise of the Messiah, the seed of the woman, to not be corrupted. That is the importance of humanity to God. That God had to be born out of mankind in order for the one who knew no sin to become our atonement for sin. The entire procedure was meticulously calculated and carefully prepared. Following the preservation of Noah and his family as the only genetically preserved humans, God released the amniotic fluid stored in the depths of the earth, as well as the amniotic fluid stored on the other side of the firmament, cleansing the earth as recorded in Genesis 7 verse 11. I don't believe that when it rains post-flood, the firmament opens and pours the water down from the other side. Evaporation and cumulus clouds are used to water the ground and cleanse the earth. God's opening of the windows of heavens was specific to bringing in the unsoiled water to cleanse the earth. All of this points to Christ as the pure, living water who cleanses and regenerates us, just as God did with the earth in Genesis. As disciples, we can speak to the fact that the process is more spiritual than physical. In some aspects, the earth was cleansed of the abominations but it has yet to be restored to its former glory by the coming of the new Jerusalem. This is a joining of a new heaven and earth, like a groom and his bride, as prophesied in Revelation 21. As faithful disciples of Jesus who persist in the renewing of our minds, we are cleansed of our abominable ways, yet our earthly bodies are not restored to their former glory as it will be as described in Revelation 21. As a result of my choice to be born again, the man I used to be has been crucified with Christ. I have been renewed in water and spirit as stated in John 3 verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I am like the wind. I was once here solely known as the soul known as Prince. But now old things have passed away and all things have become new. Those who think they still know me only hear me as Prince, just like they hear the wind. But they have no idea where I am truly from or headed. This is why Jesus said A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Mark 6 verse 4 Only those who have had this revelation of the wind understand where I came from and where I am headed. This is a saying that the unbeliever like Nicodemus and so many others cannot comprehend. I used to be confused by Jesus' words myself until the spirit of wisdom gave me understanding. The temple or house of the Holy Spirit is what would be visible before you if you could see me. This house is home to the Spirit reborn by the Spirit of God that is every bit as God, for He came from God. This Spirit is the same Spirit who once saw and knew God. God said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 Here is where the stumbling block have come the struggles, light afflictions written by God in the book of life to reshape this soul once I chose to follow Jesus. Even though this house is home to a spirit man who is one with God's spirit, there is still a soul of the old man I used to be that must be renewed. From the time I became self-conscious and shortly after became aware of the knowledge of good and evil, then the moral laws, and how I had to live by them, This soul that I am became conditioned to believe this life was his. Years of soul searching, not searching for God, but for ways to do things on my own, have resulted in cognitive dissonance. A state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, confusion, double-mindedness, and a soul in constant conflict with itself due to the soul's inability to hold two conflicting beliefs. I am in control. No, Jesus Christ is Lord, and I am not in control. This is a conflict I have recently been delivered from, and by the spirit of wisdom, I am seeing much more clearly. My sole desire has become to be completely in harmony with God, acknowledging that He is King over all aspects of this life. I believe that because Jesus is the author of this story. I can embrace every experience because God is the true judge of what is good and evil. And I trust in His judgment for His life. Jesus loves my soul. He gave me this soul. I and others may have defiled it. It needs rejuvenation, but total surrender to Him is the answer. Since I am an artist, God teaches me as an artist. He has encouraged me to look at the soul as a canvas that can be painted on. A canvas is made up of threads woven twisted together to form a fabric stretched over pieces of wood. The Spirit has explained to me that a person's soul starts off like a blank canvas. The canvas is not actually blank because of the genetic information woven together to make that soul or consciousness. We are not always aware of the materials that have made up the canvas until they begin to manifest, just like how the materials or substance that hope is made of is faith. The canvas eventually gets painted on with things that are good or evil, and then later transferred to the next or later generations. This is something in science called genetic memory. Genetic memory is complex abilities and sophisticated knowledge inherited along with other more typical and commonly accepted physical and behavioral characteristics. What does this mean? An example is a gifted musician or artist without any formal training, known as a savant, or the negative, a person given to uncontrollable sinful desires and addictions. The word genetics in Greek means genetikos, which come from another Greek word, genesis, or the book of Genesis, which means origins. The next part of this blog came as an addition after I posted the original. I foresee this happening often as my understanding develops through seeking, finding, and conversations with the Spirit of God. If you have been journeying with me through the other blogs, you will recall my expressing seeking to remember God fully. I have been experiencing an intense agitation as though the walls around my understanding of this matrix we live in is breaking down. I desire nothing more than for these walls to break and I gain holy wisdom and understanding. I perceive that I am on the brink of something. like. It is on the tip of my tongue that an incredible transition is not only taking place for me, but many in the body of Christ. In this seeking, I was led to ask a question of the Lord Why does it all seem so real? Everything around me compels my attention, and that I believe that this realm is the true realm. However, I know that there is a spiritual world which pre existed our physical world a realm more real and alive than our physical realm, a truly missing aspect of the human experience which our minds have become extremely dull to. I know this because of God's word, which should be enough, that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4 verse 24. God has been gracious to me and has allowed me to obtain glimpses of this truth as I have been maturing. I know because of the visions and dreams I have experienced even while I was awake, although very random, all without intoxicants, by the way. I also know because of what others have experienced and expressed to me, they too, without being under the influence of any drugs. I know because of my occult heritage, a bullet I have dodged, but have still dogged my every step. I know because they who are on the side of the evil ones know. They taunt us constantly through our physical senses in plain sight, enslaving our souls. Also using spiritual attack tactics when we let our guards down. Yet they will never truly succeed for their father the devil and the other fallen angels are all defeated foes, only operating through deception. They have been defeated by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when they believed they were destroying Him on the cross. However, they were actually assisting in the completion of His mission to save the world. This leads to my question to the Holy Spirit. I know I am born again. I know I am saved. But I also know that in some way, I am still chained to this world, shackled and not fully able to operate as Jesus has said I can due to the condition of my soul. I need to understand why I am limited as one born again, what I still lack. Why is this reality much more real to me than the spiritual reality? I can only describe the Spirit's response as water pouring from my heart. As he said, because your soul makes it real. My next question was, how does it become unreal? How did Jesus escape the matrix? The spirit's response was, by becoming a sacrifice. You must become a living sacrifice. How do I become a living sacrifice? By dying to self. How do I die to self? After this question, I did not get a response right away. I just began meditating on this last response. By dying to self. The following day, an incredible desire to do research on something that expounds a bit more on genetic memory and its connection with one of three altars of the soul gripped me. I believe that this was the spirit answering my question about dying to self and forming me as a practitioner and surrender to Jesus in the next stages of my spiritual awakening. Genetic memory is an aspect of the soul psychology refers to as id, which I believe is actually a ruling entity of the soul which fractures out to many smaller fragmentations. The id according to Freud, is the carnal aspect of our souls which operate more on basic instincts, primitive drives, desires, concealing genetic memories unbeknownst to us until they come spilling out when we are encouraged or triggered. According to psychology, we are born with the id and its counterparts, the ego, the portion of the soul we allow others to see, and the super-ego, the portion of the soul which seeks to reinforce and protect our self image. These two altars only developing throughout our lives. Imagine the id as the material of the canvas passed down through generations, and the ego and superego as what is painted on the canvas. Unfortunately, the id being part of the inheritance from our rebellious parents in the Garden of Eden, the id is chaotic and primal. The id says, me first the id declares you only live once if it feels good do it if it does not feel good discard it the id says what it wants when it wants having no desire to filter itself the id will sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind leaving the ego to pick up the pieces the id is illogical irrational and lives in fantasy the id, again, having many smaller fragmentations, harbor memories unknown to the ego and superego. The id has triggers through soul wounds passed down that may not be known to the current ego. The id is all about self-preservation and therefore not willing to turn the other cheek. The id perceives wrong where wrongs do not exist. Everyone is a potential enemy of the id's satisfaction. The id is very much a false sense of identity. The id is forever a child seeking to have every impulse satisfied regardless of the consequences. Interestingly, Freud chose to call this aspect of the soul id or id as in identification. The first man and woman did not have ids for the id is due to fragmentation of the soul. The id in psychology is the opposite of the superego, which was also not an aspect of the original souls as they are created by our experiences. Id and superego are two aspects of the soul that literally represent the knowledge of good and evil. The id and superego are often comically represented as a devil, id, and angel, superego, both sitting upon the shoulder of the ego, self. There is literally a war that transpires within our souls. The ego says, Hi, I'm Prince, and based on our level of relationship, this is the aspect of myself that I am willing to show you or is appropriate for this present time. The ego's ambitions are based on how we were raised to either subjugate or completely give in to the id. As functioning adults, we seek to find a balance in between the two, which is where the superego is utilized. The superego seeks to protect the image of the ego by bringing balance, but the id's aim is to subjugate all parts of the soul, living out chaotic primal desires. The id, in its way, does actually seek to protect the self, and this is one way that the id, ego, and superego are willing to work together. This is because all three altars desire self-preservation. The id is then allowed to take the lead and the soul goes into fight, flight, or freeze mode. In these modes, the id buries those harmful memories and pass it on to the next generation, if not dealt with. This does come in handy operating from a carnal perspective. However, When self-preservation means not submitting to God, the id, ego, and superego choose rebellion. Submitting to God means that the id must die to self and the soul be rewritten in the image and likeness of God. Self-preservation is one of the only times the id, ego, and superego will work together. But for most of the soul's existence, there is duality. Jesus. Who is one with God proved the condition of his soul's canvas by displaying dominion over his soul in the wilderness when tempted by the devil in Matthew 4 verses 1 to 11 and Luke 4 verses 1 to 13. Jesus, like every other human, had needs and wants, but his did not rule him. When he was tried in the Garden of Gethsemane and asked that the trial ahead be passed from him, He repented and surrendered to His Father's will. See Luke 22, verses 39-46. Jesus showed us that being in true oneness with God, through surrender, by dying to self, we can overcome our baser selves. The entirety of this blog is expressing my recognition of the fallen state my soul is in. How the entirety of all our souls are affected by the interwoven id, into the canvas that makes up the human soul. I am convinced that the id and all other altars which formed in the soul God breathed into the man stem from the seed of rebellion the devil sowed in humanity in the Garden of Eden. It is the devil's identity. However, by recognizing my enemy's identity in my soul, I can free my soul by shining the light of Jesus upon the id. Casting it out like the poisonous bite of the serpent that it is, and replacing it with the identity of Christ, I can then, through the eyes of the spirit analyze the ego and superego and even learn to appreciate who I have become unashamed, who I can further be for the glory of God, a version of my Lord and Savior Jesus. however, the soul of mine being brought under the rulership of the King of Kings is a process but what i have now learned has become spiritual food for growth and a valuable weapon of my warfare furthermore as believers we know genetic memory to mean something else generational blessings or curses which is transferred from parent to child going all the way back to adam and eve adam and eve also began as blank canvases but the materials that made up their souls were perfect and unpolluted. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Genesis 2 verse 7. But once they sinned, their corrupted canvas material transferred through countless generations to this point, taking diverse paths of life and death to make up the souls we begin with at conception and birth. David celebrates God in Psalms 139 verses 13 to 18 for the amazing job he did in creating us, that God was in love with the whole process, God is there in the womb, pouring out His Spirit over us, developing us into living souls, even if those souls have generational information making up their canvas, as previously stated. Please, think about this scripture when you think of abortion. Contemplate an abortion yourself, or you are in the place to encourage someone away from destroying one or more of God's masterpieces. I'm going to read Psalms 139 from the New Living Translation because I love its beauty and simplicity. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God! They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Psalm 139 verses 13 to 18. The revelation of this next section was birth. while my wife and I conversed with the spirit of wisdom while sharpening one another. So when does a soul become separated from its spirit? aborted, stillborn, or premature death babies do not go to hell. Little children who are unable to distinguish between good and evil do not go to hell. So when does the soul-spirit separation take place? We believe it happens the first time we encounter the tree of knowledge of good and evil scenario in our own lives. The first time a person must choose Between doing what is inherently good and inspired by God's Spirit in us, or following our own desires and eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, obtaining worldly wisdom and deciding what is good in our own eyes. I believe that every single individual on the earth has experienced this scenario because there isn't a single good person on the earth, not even one, as stated in Psalms 14 verse 3. Even Jesus in Mark 10 verse 18 stated that only God was good. Jesus here was not saying, He wasn't good, for He was also God but he desired the attention be taken off the physical and placed on the spiritual. When it comes to the tree scenario, we all fail, just like Adam and Eve did. Jesus was the only one who ever passed. Jesus, God made flesh on earth, began not as a son of Adam, but as a son of God, and his mother's untouched womb was like God's untouched earth. Allowing him to begin with a perfect canvas, a perfect mind, yet taking on a human form. Because the material of his canvas was of God, despite growing as a man, he knew his purpose and remembered his Father. When we first start, we all forget God. But because Adam once knew God, there is a transference to the canvas material, a knowing a level of faith in each of us that declares that there is someone greater than ourselves. Many people, however, choose to ignore this inherent knowledge to follow their evil heart's desires. Well, this is what Paul's spirit testifying with the Holy Spirit has to say about that. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1, verses 17-22 As the boy Jesus grew older, he discerned everything through the holy fear of the Lord, reverence for his holy father, which is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. His desire to do his father's will led to the diligent studying of the laws and prophets, as shown in Luke 2 verses 46 to 52. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Luke 2 verses 46 to 52 Jesus was doing what Adam and Eve should have done before facing the scenario of the tree. Jesus as a child learned his father's laws and was submissive to his mother and adopted father. By honoring them, he honored his heavenly Father. So when facing the scenario of the tree, he passed a test for his canvas had been painted over with total obedience to the Father. Jesus has shown us the way. Regardless of the form he had taken, he had not stopped being one with the Father and Holy Spirit. He remembered his assignment and fulfilled it, for it was the reason this version of God had come. God allowed himself to be born as a man, but in the sinless form and with the perfect soul that all other versions of himself, us, should have had, then dying to set us free. Now that we have been saved, we all have the same task, to die to self on a regular basis so that God can live and show the way to the rest of the world. When we stop clinging to these lives we have, or believe we should have, we die. And then it is no longer we who live, but God who lives and lives His life the way He intended it to be lived on this earth. It is not that we stop existing because it is now God who lives, but we become one with God as we should have always been, able to think apart from God but having all His wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We are then no longer ruled by our past, our feelings, and emotions. People, places, or things do not rule us, for we have become one with God as Jesus is one with God. There is only one God on the throne in every area of our lives. Therefore, we know that in any situation we can speak like Jesus in John 19, verse 11. You could have no power. At all against me, unless it had been given you from above. Because we know where our strength lies, where our help comes from, who reigns. Life must be total, constant submission to God about every step through the realization that it is not I who live, but God who is actually living. This is His life, and I am okay with that. And that is why I'm willing to do whatever he requires with his life. Every day is a new day that the man that I used to be must die in order for the version of God that I am to live. Dying is a daily, ongoing process, a renewal of the mind. But the more we die, the more we know, for God lives in us. The more we know, the less we suffer. God says in Hosea, 4 Verse 6 My people perish for lack of knowledge. So, what happens when we truly come to believe all of this, and our souls are totally surrendered and no longer seeking to be in control? What happens when there is nothing left of my thoughts that seek to be independent from God? Letting go of my false perception about my environment and what I have been conditioned to think is real or not real. What happens when my soul totally gives over to the Spirit of God? Who exactly is left if not God? Doing these blogs is a process of soul renewal for me. During this process of soul renewal, I contemplated on the times I've asked God to show up for me like He does for others I know. These people can see in the Spirit as easily as closing or opening their eyes. My gifting of seeing in the Spirit seems more unstable and random. The lack of control and consistency has been frustrating. I've asked God why He isn't increasing my faith by the gifts I'm seeking. Honestly. I know I've been ungrateful, not fully appreciating the ways God has been speaking to me, and I've had to repent. He communicates with me in various ways that he does not with these others who are prolific seers. The greatest is through his word. Another way is discernment, a word of knowledge. But as I am still in early stages of this journey, I have often downplayed God's communications to me desiring more than I am ready for. I have often desired, like Thomas, to instead see the nail-scar hands and his side. As I've pondered this, the Spirit has lovingly said to me that He has shown us in His Word that faith does not necessarily always come by signs and wonders. Even though the Pharisees saw the signs and wonders, they did not believe. Even though the disciples walked with Jesus for three years, They only believed on the surface, for when the time to stand with Jesus came, they all scattered and later went back to work. Jesus, after his resurrection, had to meet them on the shore and feed them. The Spirit said to me that true faith begins as a confession and blooms in the heart. It is not a thing to behold, but a thing that grows from within, that blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. I believe as I mature in my walk with the Lord, putting aside all weights, sins, and snares, the more my knowing will increase, my understanding will increase, the more spiritual gifts I will obtain, and the more I will be able to share with you to encourage you in your growth. So please pray for me as I pray for you. Be one, brethren.